This week, we're talking about taking inspiration from real-world fairy tales and putting them into our games with Tales of the Old World. Plus, if you listen through to the end of the episode, we've got a giveaway for you. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello and welcome to another episode of We Speak Common, brought to you in partnership with the Dice Dungeon, where you can get yourself and your DMs some real nice little Christmas treats in the form of metal and resin dice, and we'll tell you more about them and how you can get 10% off with our code a little bit later. First though, I want to talk to Joe. Hello mate. Oh Ben, that's very uh, very kind of you. Good. <laughs> take time out of your day to talk to little old me you're always so chilled out i still like i always i always think oh i'm gonna i've got to talk to joe and you're like oh ben hello yes it's it's weird i actually well i'm I'm fairly chill i mean i actually had to push this uh podcast back because it turns out i'm a football fan now didn't know no not watch football in my, you know, we 23 years of life, but... Um... See, when I get a message from you that's like, oh, hey, um, can we push back? I'm like, oh, I hope everything's okay. No, you're just, you're just watching football. Yeah, apparently I'm into it now. I didn't <laughs> I didn't know this was the case until now. What were you, um, what game was it? It was uh, Tottenham. Tottenham versus West Brom. Uh, it right. Was, it was very boring and ultimately very disappointing on my behalf as a fan of Tottenham, but... There you go. You I see, didn't know I was a fan until just a few weeks ago. I'm not a big football fan. My dad was very big into football um, and tried his best to get me into it. And it just wasn't a thing that was ever going to really happen. And then last World Cup, before we even knew what the word coronavirus was, apart from, you know, the beer, um, I got really into the World Cup when England did really well. And I like I went out to a bar and watched the game where we got kicked out and like there was chanting and singing and it was and drinking and I was like, bloody hell, I mean I'm enjoying football. Um but then since then yeah. it went away. Yeah, yeah. I mean I, I mean I, I watched it then, I was I was into it, sure, because everyone was, but mm. it was less about being a fan of football and more just Patriotism. Being a fan, a fan of England. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I think my issue is I can't get behind a single team. I just I don't have like the loyalty for a single area, really. Um, no, well, I don't really like. I say I'm a Tottenham fan. I have a few key players in Tottenham who I enjoy watching. Mm. Uh, so, so you just go follow that, them around. That's who I follow around. But yeah, I turns out big football fan. Never knew it. Mate, I never thought I'd ever start a D and D podcast episode by talking about football. So, there we go. That's happened. Well, it's a first for everything, isn't it? You know. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, there really is. There are a few. Um, there are a few people who follow us on Twitter who have. I always thought this was weird. Someone followed us a while back, and their bio was like, um, "Big fan of D and D and football." And I was like, "Those things don't go together." But but fair play. Like what you like, no, man. But if you think about it, Ben. They do go together. Because they're both because, games. Well, there's that. But there's also a lot of crossover. You know, there's... Uh, especially as, like, a football fan who, when you're watching big games, you're kind of like a pundit, you know. You're just looking from at the strategic layer, if you will. Right. Uh, it's very similar to playing D&D. You know, looking at mechanics, builds, compositions, etc. Yeah. Getting into the weeds of it all. <laughs> I think that I think there's a lot of crossover there. <laughs> I can't believe you're... Okay, fine. Yeah, sure. I'll take your word for it, mate. I really will. Um, but I'm glad you've got that, that, uh, that joy in your life. Yeah. I... Yeah. <laughs> what did I do this morning? I um, finished an episode, the final episode of a series that Phoebe and I have been watching, and I realised that I have a love for this series that is akin to your love for The Handmaid's Tale. So, uh, on the old Netflix, there is a a limited series called The Queen's Gambit, and it's all about a woman called Beth Harmon, and how she became um, the world chess champion, and it's so good. It's really good. 
Um, to the point that Phoebe, who has never, she never knew how to play chess. Like, I used to play with my granddad. He taught me and we'd, we'd sit and play chess every time I went around his house. And I love the game. I'm not, I'm not like in no means that good at it, but I, I, you know, I can win a few matches. So I know how to play and she has no idea. And she's, she's always been against learning and watching the show has made her want to play chess. So. Well, there you go. Yeah. Recommend it. Highly recommend it. Yeah, no, that's um, that's interesting actually. I, it's a fun. That's like a fun concept for a a show. Mm. It, yeah, it, I always come. I, I always like shows or books, films, whatever that revolve around like a a game or something of that nature. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I watched um, like Moneyball on Netflix the other day. Which is about baseball. I have no idea how to play baseball. <laughs> I have no idea how the game is run. Turns out it's actually like really statistics based. Yeah, and everything like that. You to win the season, quote unquote. It's it's all just about the statistics of every player. And uh, I had no idea what was going on. Ben thoroughly enjoyed the film. Mm. Um, so yeah, no, I love I love shit like that. Really, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Well. Um... Should we talk Dungeons about dragons? Yeah, D and D. Is that <laughs> something we should? Uh... <laughs> I guess so. We need a film about D and D. Okay, so this week is a fun one. Um, uh, we have obviously been playing a lot of D and D recently, and um, I played in James's game on Friday, the Descent game that you now know everything about, and that character Moltum, who I want to know who it is, who James keeps like hanging over our heads, just died, just died, really pathetic death. And and now I'm convinced even more that he's some secret character. So there's that. Um, and it's it's got me thinking a lot because we talked about James last week and how he's done very well at, at DMing. And one of the things that he has done incredibly well is add on to Descent with extra adventures and things, um, little extra quest lines, bits and bobs. And there are some of those that exist out there, like Tales of the Yawning Portal is out there. Um, Ghost of Saltmarsh, I guess, could be seen in that way. And we uh, got a lovely little message from uh, a group of creators that we've talked about before who have put together a book that is kind of like this... um, I'll I'll call it an adventure book because that is what it is, but it's made up of all these different adventures that you can link into your campaigns or run together. So kind of in that Ghost of Saltmarsh tells the yawning portal vibe and we've been reading it and i don't know about you joe i guess we're going to get into it but i love it i love the concept i love the the way it's been put together i thoroughly enjoyed reading my adventure and i cannot wait to talk about it yeah so i i just read uh my designated adventure if you will mm-hmm. uh, i didn't explore too much of the rest of the book but i like the sort of bite-size, modular nature of it, if you will, where at least the adventure I read is very easily plonked into a lot of different sort of campaign scenarios. Mm -hmm. It's kind of laid out, and they recommend you essentially run it as like a side quest, really, during a travelling sequence, Mm. uh, which, you know, I'm a big big fan of those. So, yeah, no, I was uh, very pleased. I mean, do you want to kick off, or do you want me to start with the details? Um, let's do my one first, because I think my one's going to be a bit more uh, fantastical out of the two. Okay. And, and that's that's I'm saying that having not read yours. So <laughs> this book is called Tales of the Old World. Now, that'll ring a bell to anyone who's been through our back catalogue of episodes and heard us talk about um, monsters of the old world and artifacts of the old world. Um, So this is an ongoing series on the DMs Guild and it is very, very good. I am enjoying this, this, uh, this theme that they've got going on across their, their books. So the idea is that everything that you find within these books is based on real world uh, lore and fantasy stories. Uh, We're talking Norse, uh, Icelandic, um, Western fairy tales like the Grimm Brothers, which we're going to get into in a minute. All of these different real-world fairy tales that you hear growing up, they have been put into a D&D context. And um, I think, I mean, I've used some of the uh, artifacts from the Artifacts of the Old World in my games. I think it fits great. I know you've used some of the monsters, and I think I've fought a couple of them in one of your games. So I can see this fitting in really, really well. Now, my adventure in 
Tales of the Old World was uh, based on the Grimm Brothers fairy tale of Hansel and Gretel, which (laughs) is so good. I love this take. So it's called The Gingerbread House. Obviously, Hansel and Gretel, and what's really nice about this book is that um, they have a side panel telling you the kind of layout of the original story so that you know what the basis of this adventure are Hansel and Gretel go into the woods they find a house made of gingerbread where a witch lives and she um, cooks them and eats them and that's you know there's the whole scene of Hansel and Gretel dropping breadcrumbs to when they escape and things like that in this version it is um, very much open-ended for your characters of whether they are going to side with the witch quote-unquote witch or side with Hansel and Gretel so I'll sort you for it a little bit and then I want you to uh, tell me tell me what your thoughts are Joe all right okay much like your adventure this is um, kind of fit to be a traveling adventure but there are a couple of hooks as well it's designed for four to six characters of third level and the encounter at the end the kind of boss fight as you were is meant to be a challenge for that level the idea is that your characters are travelling along or looking for particularly this wonderful woman called the Whoopie Witch. Now, she would never refer to herself as the Whoopie Witch, but that's what people call her. You see, she's a fantastic baker, Joe. She makes really, really nice treats called Whoopies, which are kind of like shortbread with cream in the middle. And uh, she was so good because she loved seeing children smile when they ate her treats that parents decided to question whether there was something insidious going on how can she be that good of a baker how how why does she like children why do our children like her more than they like us but she must be a witch she's a witch get rid of her uh, you know that kind of stuff um sure. <laughs> you know typical typical uh old western kind of stuff uh she goes away she hides away in the woods and her love for baking grows over time and develops this kind of magical uh, twist to it And so she bakes herself a house of gingerbread. She lives in it. And every now and then someone will visit and she will get joy from the fact that she gets to, you know, give them treats and see their smiles. And and she's a lovely lady, really. But because she's such a good baker, she has amassed a fortune in selling her goods. And Hansel and Gretel, the uh, two would-be adventurers, I suppose, want to go and steal that treasure for themselves. And they also want to steal her famed and fortuned recipe book, which is kind of like, in a way, her spell book. So when the players stumble into the woods that surround the Whoopi Witch's gingerbread house, something strange happens to them. They are transformed into child versions of themselves. Um, Statistically... That is, uh, their size is reduced and their speed is reduced by five. But they do have disadvantage with um, uh, skill checks and saves because their clothes all stay the normal size. So they have to like work out a way to adjust themselves and make themselves able to um, function properly. They still have all of their skills and stuff. The reasoning for this is my favourite thing in this whole adventure. And that is that the Whoopi Witch longs to see the smiles of children's faces so much that the magic has infected this region, this forest that she lives in. It's enchanted the forest so that when people arrive, they get turned into children so that she can feed them and put a big old smile on her face because she, that's just what she longs to see. It's quite sweet, really. Um, you do eventually, after you leave the woods, one day, four days later, turn back into your normal self as well. You're not stuck as a kid forever. So as children, the characters make their way through the forest. They may encounter Gretel. They may encounter the Whoopi Witch. But eventually they will find themselves at the gingerbread house where Hansel is trapped in a cage. You see, the two children, who are actually 20-something-year-old adventurers, have broken into her home. They had a bit of a fight. And when you get there, the house is in a state. Hansel, um, a, a the, the sort of... I was going to say bard, the charismatic leader of the two spins a lie and says the whoopee witch is evil like look at the the disarray in her house look she's trapped me in here look at these children's bony fingers of the children she's eaten they're actually goblin fingers because he killed a goblin um at some point and he tries to to get the children to go and find gretel because she has the key to get him out she ran away during the fight 
The characters may then go and find Gretel, but in that they may also find the Whoopi Witch. There's this this chance of who they might bump into. There's a raven that's kind of trying to guide the characters to, to the Whoopi Witch because she's actually good and she talks to the forest beings. Um, so they may encounter both, they may encounter one. Gretel, the mastermind behind the, the two, will spin the tale even further and say, you know, the, the, about the, talk about the fight with the witch and how that she's evil and they need to go and save her brother and will they help her and all this kind of thing. The witch, if they see her, will tell them the true story of the children coming in and trying to eat her house and steal from her and um, how they, they, they fought with her and she's trying to find Gretel. Um, but that she's happy to part with her money if, you know, she can keep her home safe and get rid of the kids and not have to have a, have a fight. She doesn't want to kill anyone. She just wants to bake goodies. The whole point, the whole sort of link in this adventure the thing that's going to make it different and unique for everyone is who the characters believe and it's going to come down to role play and um maybe what kind of insights checks and skills they have if they can work out who's lying and who's not what's really fun is that once the characters have met everybody and worked out who they want to help or what what sort of outcome they want to achieve there are a number of different ideas on how that can go in the adventure so one way is to help the whoopee witch and to get rid of the kids one way is to help the kids and get rid of the whoopee witch uh, the other way is to try and broker peace between the two parties and send the kids on their way and then of course there's the whole what will happen with the witch's money and uh, and her recipe book which are hidden somewhere in the house too so there's a lot going on here but in mm. it's uh, what i like about it is that there's a lot going on in a very small compact uh, area and a very small compact adventure too there's not really a lot that you have to do you could run this in one sitting in one ni- nice little side quest um and the the twist on the the so-called witch being this actually really nice good-hearted character is is really refreshing for me and coming into the forest and thinking oh no this place is enchanted she's turned us into children so she can eat us but then you find out actually no it's her love for seeing children's smiles that's done that that's um that's really fun and I think a nice twist on on the usual stereotypes that you might come across as an adventurer. Mm. It's interesting, yeah. I mean, I suppose the theme from all these adventures is they're quite compartmentalised in the fact that they generally span a, a fairly condensed geographical region as well as sort of thematically and from a storytelling point of view. They're quite uh, dense, but but sort of small as well. And it does make it quite easy to then slot them into a, an overall uh, greater campaign, mm. which I think is pretty cool. And what I like about this compared to something like uh, Ghost of Saltmarsh is those are tied, a lot of those campaigns are sort of directly tied to the the actual location of Saltmarsh, right? And the villages and, and towns and whatnot in that area. And as such, you can't. It's difficult to sort of then pluck those and put them in a, a homebrew campaign, even if it's in the Forgotten Realms, right? Because your players might not necessarily be at Saltmarsh. Uh, whereas with these sort of adventures, it's quite nice to be able to just move them. Like, my, like, like, say your ones is based around just a few key characters. Mine's just based around a very, very small village and a mountain. You know, they're quite easy sort of things you can just plop down in your adventure. Uh, and it, I like stuff like this to be introduced into a homebrew campaign because it, it really alleviates a lot of pressure off the DM to sort of be on their A game constantly, right? Like you can read this, you know it's good content and it's sort of succinct and you can put this in as sort of like a stopgap filler between your next sort of big set piece in your campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, I found like when I was doing like travel sequences, it was a lot of work because I was constantly planning what you guys were going to do when you got to the end of the travel, like the next big arc, what was going on there. But then I couldn't just allow myself to have each of the travel sessions just be like throwaway in the meantime. Yeah. Because because otherwise it's just, like, what's the point of playing, right? So those had to be of a certain standard as well as the, the main big stuff I was planning. Whereas if you can just sort of take this, put it in there, and it's like pre-built already at that really good standard, uh, it allows you just so much more headspace as a DM, you know? Yeah. Especially when you just have notes you can just easily refer to from the book. Um, I mean, one thing I will say uh, is the 
I quite like the layout of this whole this whole book because they're like I say they're slightly smaller in scope these stories it's just quite succinct you know you've got like a block of text easily anything you actually need to read out word for word verbatim is like easily highlighted for you mm-hmm. so at a glance you can just see it anything that's important like uh, checks um items etc is all like bolded and highlighted so you you're not going to miss anything the stat blocks are like right next to uh their relevant area in the story so just from a formatting perspective ben, oh yeah the format is lovely it. i uh i appreciate that because i feel like wizards of the coast are quite bad at this to be honest like mm-hmm. i was reading through um some tomb of annihilation stuff because i was you know somewhat interested in it after reading some of your document mm-hmm. and it's just horribly laid out i think mm-hmm. like <laughs> really horribly laid out like i can't it just doesn't like you've got big maps haven't you of the area of tomb of annihilation yeah but like they give you a massive map and then they spend the next 40 pages like describing each room and i'm get that but like can you also just remind me where i am on the map you know what i mean because i'm having to like you have to scroll remember. back and flick through the yeah. book and yeah and, and like i was having to open like two pdfs and have one page open on a second monitor just looking at the map yes and then every like what, what if you've just got the book are you gonna do rip out the page so yeah you can see it it is you know, a, it isn't that's a big pain and that is a big issue that i have with with adventures like that but like with this one the the only map you really need for this particular adventure with the whippy witch is her home because the rest is all set in a forest and you can kind of make that up yourself as you go along and um what's nice is that rather than have it as one big whole section on a page it fits very very nice and snugly in the corner around all of the relevant text for that that map yeah um, no it's, it's the exact same on uh my adventure there's one key area mm-hmm. which constitutes of like five different rooms and whatnot like a small dungeon if you will mm-hmm. and yeah it's just in the corner of the page and then clearly labeled all around it is a paragraph for each room and that's yeah. like literally all you need i really it's like as nice. well looking um this particular adventure I, i'll have to ask you with yours when we come to it but um in terms of We've said that it's very easy to slot it into any adventure and it's kind of like a nice stopgap, a nice side quest, but it actually has further implications too because the Whippy Witch is this famous baker. If you help her and you get her on your side, she offers you, well, she she feeds you, she gives you a hero's feast, but she also says, look, if you ever want another another trip down the forest, you want to come and have some food, like you just let me know, just come along and I'll cook you up a nice dinner. So you can come back to her whenever you need the benefits of a hero's feast and, and yeah. have a nice a nice chill time. Yeah, it's nice to have a degree of permanence yes. to like side quests and stuff. Something that reminds you of those characters and things you can go back to. Or like I always like to inject with a quest reward, if it's an item or something, a a distinct tie to whoever gave it to you or whatever the quest was about. So you have that constant um reminder you know it's not like oh where did i get this item from whenever you use that item or you're interacting with it you you know where it came from you remember the the journey to get it mm-hmm. um like uh like for instance i had the quest where you guys sort of well you had the option to essentially i the goal was to stop a ghost killing uh, uh this woman and yeah, child. yeah and and uh you could obviously gone about that in a bunch of different ways, but you managed to convince the ghost not to do that. And as a reward, the ghost like said, hey, look, when I was alive, I had some stuff. <laughs> it was hidden in this place. You can go and get it if you want. And so you go and get it. And so one of them is like a magic ring that heals you. But the ring has like personality and will... It basically berates you for getting hit whenever you uh, <laughs> use it to heal you. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the name and whatever it does that, it's directly tied to the original owner, right? Which was this this dark elf um, ghost who, who once had this ring. So it's like, it just has enough personality injected in it that whenever you use that quest, uh, quest reward, you're like, oh, I remember where I got this. It's tied to this, this person mm-hmm. and this thing and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same here. Like, you know that you always have that in the back of your mind. Like, oh, I can always go back there, get a hero's feast, get help. Like, I have that ally on side now, which is always kind of fun, I think, to have in the in the back pocket. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. I love the idea of, like, a... um. 
like you could do this throughout a whole campaign like a a cleric is always like getting friendly with a bunch of paladins and doing like help for them and whatnot, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. So you always know, oh, I can always go back to this paladin order and my best friends. I love the idea you get to the end of the game and it's like the big boss and you like cast ninth level gate and then all your paladins just come like streaming through the gate, that's, all your best friends. That's really cool. Campaign. That's like proper um, Infinity War level stuff at the end. Yeah, yeah. It, exactly. Like all your friends come and help you. Um, but that only works, like I say, if you can constantly remind your players, like, hey, you've helped this person, mm. they kn- they know you, etc. Yeah, like, I uh, really like in Dragon Heist that you guys now have this plan that you, you saved Maloon, and you're like, right, we know that when we go and attack the Xanathar, Maloon's going to come with us. Yeah, 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 no, that's cool. And that that reminds us every time that we have that, that guy on side, mm. you know, uh, and so that quest is always sort of relevant in our minds it, it sort of ties everything together in a way yeah which i think is pretty cool and the, like i say this this um these adventures here do a very similar thing one thing i really like about this um and it was something i was concerned about looking into it because the premise is really cool having these adventures based on uh, you know these real world fairy tales that you might have grown up with like the, the story of hansel and gretel is such a well-known story particularly uh, for you and I, it's it's one you kind of hear growing up um, it, as kids in England, I think. And I thought like, oh, this is this is a really cool premise, but how am I going to fit this into my games when my characters are going to know that this is the story and they're going to have preconceived notions? But looking at it and reading through it, I could run it exactly as it is in the book and be very, very happy with it. But if I was thinking oh you know my players might pick up on the fact that it's a gingerbread house and they'll think that the witch is evil and maybe i want them to think that because i want to you know avert expectations but there is enough here that i can take what's given to me and just twist it slightly i can change the names of hansel and gretel i can stop the house from being a gingerbread house i've got exactly the same story forming here about a witch and two children and the characters are going to go in thinking oh this this witch she must be evil that she's kidnapping kids but actually i've still got that twist at the end that she's not and it's the kids that are trying to steal from her but it's suddenly not a fairy tale but still has its roots there and i really like that i really like that i can i can make it grounded in a world that i have without having to bring in that fantastical fairy tale element of a gingerbread house for example mm. no for sure it, um yeah they, they use the original source material thematically but still give it their own uh sort of creative flair so where it's it's not completely or at least immediately recognizable mm. yes yeah absolutely there's obviously some stat blocks to go along with this adventure too, and I think there are for yours as well, so I'll just have a quick flick through them. Um, Hansel and Gretel have their own statistics, the Whoopi Witch does as well. Because um, when I was reading, I was thinking, well, who's the Whoopi Witch going to be if we've got third level characters bringing in a hag's a bit much, but she kind of fits that aesthetic with some few changes. They've actually built her out as um, her own character. She is effectively, uh, as written, a celestial, which is quite quite fun. Um, and has spell casting. She has um, a matronly pre- presence feature. So she's got that sort of motherly kind of feeling. And one of her actions is to attack with a rolling pin. The other is a flower bomb. <laughs> so it's hmm. it's really, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, well, it's, it's thematic. That, that'll do, yeah. It's very thematic for, for the kind of bakery cooking theme. And I, I just really enjoy it. There's something about this adventure that, reading all the way through it just put a big smile on my face all the way through nice yeah nice. um yeah i don't do you have any other questions about the whoopee witch no I, I mean i like the idea you can get turned into children i think that's you know hilarious um, <laughs> it's good fun it's yeah that that throws a real twist I, and that's such a role-playing opportunity as well because then it like it gives the players an opportunity to think like, okay what is my character like when they're a kid, <laughs> you know what? What's the difference there? I love the idea that one of your like player characters already is a kid. It's like, what, what happens? You know? Oh god, like, yeah. What happens? You know, to them? Like, that would be even more hilarious. Um, <laughs> so, so there's a uh, there's good fun that you can, um, you know, you can do there. I think it's pretty. Yeah, definitely. It's pretty cool and it's unique. I mean, that that's something that the, the play will make that quest memorable beyond just going out and killing things or whatever. Yeah, do you remember that time we got turned back into children and we had to go and save a witch from two kids? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Very cool. Well, look, before we jump into your adventure, uh, I think now is a perfect time to talk about 
something we can give back to our listeners if they so want it. Uh, and that is 10% off on some lovely dice from the Dice Dungeon. Joe, Christmas is approaching, mate. It is indeed. At a, a steadily faster rate than I would like. It is weeks away. Literally weeks away. And I know that because I'm a celebrity starts on the TV next weekend. And when I'm a celebrity is on the TV, mate. Christmas is coming. And I, I I know that's probably alienated like 65% of our audience who might be from America and not know what that is. But, oh, that's your homework. Go and Google I'm a Celebrity. Get me out of here. Um, It'll be your new favourite show, I swear. Surely they must know. They are, I don't know. I don't know. Surely. It's a very British surely. TV show. Yeah. yeah. I think there is an Australian version. I don't think there's an American version. Yeah, but what, what's the Australian version? Do they just go and, like, and hang out in a nice air-conditioned house? Or like, what's the juxtaposition? I don't. Understand. I don't know. Well, this year they're not going to Australia because because uh, of COVID, so they're they're chilling out in a haunted Welsh castle. Which, I mean, just as sounds sounds a lot easier to be honest. Oh, I don't know. It's pretty cold in Wales in winter. It's pretty yeah, chilly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd rather be in a castle though, Ben, than in the jungle. You know, yeah, it's true. But... That's true. With all the ghosties. But yeah, so with Christmas approaching, I am steadily panicking about what to buy people for Christmas. And well, I mean, I've got a lot of friends who like D&D, Joe, so it might just be dice all round, to be honest with you. You're so creative, Ben, in your uh, gift giving. Well, look, when when I've got 10% off by using the code we speak common. Well, this is it, isn't it? Anyway, How can you say no? Exactly. To that 10% off, Ben. And especially when you've got such, you know, uh, immense choice between metallic, resin, mm. sharp, mm-hmm. rounded dice, you yeah. know, the the world is your oyster if your world consists of, you know, polyhedral shapes and whatnot. So And let's be honest, all of our worlds consist of polyhedral shapes. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um you know, geometry is our lives. So <laughs> get yourself some dots at a reduced rate. Yeah. That's all I can say. Do it. The code is we speak common and there is a uh, link in the description of this episode which will automatically add the uh, code to your basket. So go and click that and have a browse while you listen. There you go. There you go. Joe, tell me about your adventure. Well, it's, it's an interesting one, Ben, I must uh, say. Um, as I scroll up to the name here. So we've got an insidious Alpine Pass mm. is the name of this adventure. I would say it's pretty much what it says on the tin there. It is an insidious <laughs> Alpine Pass. All oh, right, okay. Uh, it's pretty good fun. So I'll, I'll run you through it. Basically, the players... It, first of all, it gives some nice narration and whatnot about how to describe moving through an Alpine Pass, the dangers, the stuff like that. The descriptions are very um, apt, I think. And quite give a, a vivid image of what's going on, which is nice. I appreciate that. Takes the burden off the DM of being super creative with the thesaurus every session. Um, and then beyond that, so you get to basically this tiny little dwarf village in the Alpine Pass. There's like 10 houses or whatever there. And a bunch of dwarves are hanging out um, being, you know dwarves i guess <laughs> doing what and, dwarves uh, do <laughs> doing what dwarves do and the leader comes over and he's like hey how's it going uh you know you guys want to chat he's quite pleased to see you he wants to know what's going on in the world they don't get out much etc that sounds nice he's a bit he's a bit of a uh, storyteller if you will um and this is uh lorino is his name and he was like an ex-adventurer if you will like in his younger days and he will tell you he will regale you the story of his most um famed adventure i guess which is where he basically defended the town from a tatsil worm uh which is like a very nasty sort of half like it looks like almost like a half ferret half worm half dragon type creature that sounds terrifying yeah yeah but he uh you know he fended it off but it's basically he's got an affinity for snakes and (laughs) right he yeah, it's a, it's a, it's related to snakes and venomous snakes and whatnot. Uh, and you may have seen some venomous snakes on your way into the the town. But here's the first thing that I quite liked about it, and I think this was almost unintentional. But he says, "Hey, why don't you guys stay the night, hang out, and the party will probably be like, yeah, sure, why not?" <laughs> but then he says this. He says, "Look, uh, we're all dwarves. Our houses are quite small. Um, so why don't each of you stay in a in a separate house? Then there'll be room." Okay. For me, straight away, and I think this is literally unintentional because I can tell you right now, there's no insidiousness that comes from this. Right. 
but it sounds terrifying. It really like does. Fans, it? I don't want to separate from what, my you, pie. You want to split the pie? Why? You know what I mean? Are you going to murder me in my sleep? That's my first. Yeah. Thought, I, I was like, is this like a horror? As if, it's not at all. But I just, <laughs> I just love the subversion of expectations. I like. I know almost. All of our party would that would completely put their backs up and they'd be like, "Whoa!" Oh God, we'd get we'd here? get full on like, "I'm going to check under the pillow behind the door. I'm going to put the chair up against the handle, and then in the morning, what happens? What happens to me, Joe?" And you're like, "Well, you, yeah. you get up and, and you can smell bacon cooking." And I I can't think that that was the intended like the desired result because it's never followed up in the text anywhere else about like creating that sort of vibe. Mm. But I just like that it kind of does, because uh, even though it doesn't come to anything, I think it sets the mood with the anxiety and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. And this uh, Lorino, the main guy, he's a bit weird anyway. What I do like, though, is that (laughs) in each of the houses, they describe exactly what's going on. There's like a mini quest in each house. Oh, that's nice. Like like tiny stuff from like resolving a family argument to helping cook the dinner to going and finding someone. Like there's like tiny little things that could be resolved in a few checks, but it's just something for each party member to do on their own. I love that. That's really nice. Yeah, there's little cute stuff. What's fun is you'll you'll be hanging around the campfire um, and Lorena will um, regale you with with tales of daring doing and whatnot. But he will tell you that the Tatsal Worm is back on the loose, he thinks, because they've seen many poisonous or venomous snakes um, in the past of late and coming into the village, Mm. which he says is a telltale sign that Tatsal Worm is back on the prowl. This is a problem for him. He will also tell you um, that he was married to this can't tell if it was like a dwarf or something like that. A, it's described as like a humanoid creature, right? <laughs> right. He was married to this person. Uh, their name is Smild. I think. I think it's how you say it. Sorry. Smild. Hang on. Hang on. I'm. J- you come into his home. You're eating dinner. He's like, yeah. So I think the tassel worm's back. Also, by the way, I was married to a humanoid creature. <laughs> no. This is the thing. He keeps banging on about it. Like he keeps banging on about like he who he, this this love of his life, right? Yeah, but but not and, not a uh, not a dwarf, not a halfling, no a humanoid creature. Well, I I I can't Ben, I can't remember exactly how she was described. All right, okay, I'm <laughs> flicking through the text, but she's definitely not like human, right? Or just okay, a dwarf, okay, that's for sure. Something special. That's re- that's revealed later. But um, he will basically say, look, um, you know. She's broken up with me. Uh, oh. Well, no, he basically says, like, look, what happened was this prince rocked through the village, right? right. Nice prince. Yeah. And he's kidnapped her. Oh. And, and you're like, oh, no, that's terrible. Damn. That sounds really bad. Damn princes. And he's like, I've not seen her in absolute yonks. But he says, I think she's up in that mountain somewhere. I think that's where he's keeping her. <laughs> and I'm concerned for her safety because the tassel worm is back on the prowl. He's like, look. <laughs> right. I think I've got a solid location where she is. He said, I'm way too old and crusty now to go on these adventures. Can you, my good friends, who I've just met recently in the past few hours, could you pop up the mountain and convince her or find her, rescue her from this prince or whatever, mm-hmm. bring her back to the village? At least then I'll know she's safe from the worm. He said, in return, I'll give you... A sweet magic item from my old adventuring days. My alarm bells are ringing. He won't tell you what the the, the magic item is. No, of though. course he won't. And it's it's one of two. But he was like, "Look, can you just pop up there? I'll see, I'll, I'm used to a sweet adventurer. I'll, see, I'll give you this magic item. I don't need it anymore. You'd be doing me an absolute solid." Players can be like, "Yeah, sure. Why not? You know what I mean?" The adventure kicks off. Uh, they can rock up the mountain. There's a fun little thing where you basically, this fun little encounter where you're on this really narrow pass mm-hmm. and five cows are coming down the pass the other way. <laughs> right. It's too narrow. <laughs> you can animal handling check them or speak with animals Hang on. to try and, get, try and get them to back up. What yeah. level of adventure are you? This is for fifth to eighth level adventurers. Yeah, 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 yeah I know. This is hilarious. But then... <laughs> this is fantastic. Like, if you spend too long on it, Six Pratons will come down and start attacking you, and they will attack the cows as well. And he, like he says, one way to solve this encounter is if the Pratons pick up all the cows and carry them away. Right. <laughs> like if they just want to eat them. Yeah. So you have this encounter going on, but I like it because, again, any encounter where you can add an element of environmental danger is really awesome. Like I would have the cows start freaking out and like knocking the players off the cliff yeah, and stuff man. like that. Yeah. You know, like have them start going berserk and charging and, f- and freaking out. So you can, you know, maybe try to do animal handling checks in the middle. 
you could try and hide behind a cow so then like he gets picked up by the praetor and not you mm. uh i really a, um i really like the the whole thing as well like there's it's not really a, a, a subversion but it's just something you don't think as an adventurer that you're gonna have to deal with is that you're walking down a narrow path and there's 10 there's five cows coming at you and they they stretch the whole road like that's just kind of an issue that you would never yeah. think you're gonna come across yeah no and i like it i think it's pretty cool so there's that you you get that encounter out of the way hopefully everyone's still all in one piece including the cows including daisy yep. so mm-hmm. and you basically come to the uh, you can also what's kind of cool is um, encounter a bunch of poisonous snakes along the way uh now if you kill the snakes or don't let them get away um the tatzel worm will not know you're coming and he won't be able to ambush you if you do let them get away they will inform the tatzel worm that you're on the mountain and bro you're going to get ambushed at some point so that's a fun little thing you can do to sort of help your chances if you're clever enough to realize that these snakes are sort of acting as scouts and so you go up to this large frozen cave entrance it's it's i would say i call it a dungeon it's not really it's just the home of this um smilled if, if i'm saying her name right mm-hmm. um turns out yeah as she will inform you when you're in here is that um she wasn't uh, captured at all she said look i'm like this magical creature mm. i was married to him we had a fine time but all the adventures stopped. Things got really boring. I started losing all my magical abilities because I'm just not really exercising them, if you will. Mm. Uh, and then he said, this one prince came along, offered to um, give me a lift, basically. So he was like, look, I had to go. She said, my magic's even better than it was before now. Now I'm on my own. And uh, the tattle worm is not even a problem to me anymore. I'm too powerful. <laughs> like, I've, so, I've already killed the, the tattle worm. So. Yeah, she, well, she's just like, look, it's not a problem to me. So I ain't worried. So now the players have a few options. Mm-hmm. They can do a really difficult like persuasion or deception check to try and get it to come down. Mm-hmm. If they, what's fun is if you tell her about some of the named characters in the village, and that they're in danger from the Tatsa worm, that will give you advantage on the check. Nice, because she actually does. She still cares about the villagers. Yeah. Um. Um. And Lorino. So, but it's quite difficult to get her to come. She says, "Look, you know, I don't want to mess you about." Whilst you're here, instead of trying to convince me to go down there, why don't you uh, get me this special flower from the top of the mountain? It's used as a spell component. If you get some for me, because I'm in need of some anyway, I'll teach you a new spell um, where you can have in your um, divine library, if you will, and we'll just call it a day. And so now you have this option. Do I want the magic arm? Do I want the spell? Which is quite fun, I think. Uh, you can also go through like a secret door uh, if you sort of are perceptive enough and get into her like back room and find some extra information out about her and stuff mm. and find some magic items as well, some um, Winterland boots, which is fun. If you go up, Ben, to try and get the flower, you're going to come across the tattoo work. Of course right? you are. This is, a you know, it, it bound to happen. You know, it's been the smoking gun this whole time. So you go up there and again, like I said, the tattoo worm is hiding but if you uh, you're almost guaranteed to be get surprised by it if the snakes have pre-warned it. Mm-hmm. If not, it's pretty much just going to be a normal initiative roll, and you'll have a better chance. You do not want to get surprised by the tattoo worm because it's actually a pretty dangerous creature. Oh god, uh, okay. Yeah, it's got like so it does. It's got a plus eight to hit. It does three d ten plus five damage. It's got two attacks there. Mm-hmm. It can constrict you. Um, basically restraining you, uh, DC 16, grapple escape to get out. That does 2d10 plus 5 damage like every turn. It's got poison breath, recharges on a 6. Ooh. does 35 damage in a cone. So, like, it's pretty dangerous. It's got 190 hit points and 16 AC. I'm looking at it now. This is a, this is a beefy snake worm otter thing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty creepy, isn't it? So I like um, it. It's, it's, it's insidious. One thing I did miss as well is when you first go into Smeed's abode, there are two stalactites, mm-hmm. um, but they're not actually stalactites. They're partially frozen ropers that act as bodyguards and will attack you if you come in without Smeed's posi- um, sort of um, wow. permission. But they like so I like the idea they just break out of the ice and attack you, but they're disguised as like part of the surroundings. That's cool, which is a fun little thing. What's cool is so if you kill the Tatsa worm, you will get uh, some flowers. 
um, 2d6 flowers to be precise. You can go down there and she will teach you this spell called Stardust. Spoiler alert, if you're ever going to play this adventure, the spell is crap, so it's not the best reward <laughs> for this adventure. <laughs> what does it do? So it's a level five spell. Right. right? Level five, pretty high. You know, that's you got to be ninth level to cast this. Yeah. Um, so, Which you are kind of almost anyway. It's called Stardust, and... What's pretty cool is, so when she describes it, there's this frozen pool, which she will then stand on. The ice will melt, she'll spin around, and these flower petals that she got for the uh, the making of the spell sort of spiral around her and turn into stardust. Wow. And she, it's pretty cool. But each creature in a 10-foot radius uh, around you, so 10-foot radius, not very big, like smaller than spiritual guardians. Yeah. It's got to make a deck save. It takes 8d8 damage on a failed save. It's half as much on a successful one. That's it. Done. <laughs> not... It's like a tiny fireball on your position. Mm. <laughs> um, not really the best, and it's not, and it's not even friendly fire safe. So, yeah, not the best spell in the world. Um, it can only be learned by divine characters, so like paladins, clerics, etc. Um, I'd probably let a divine soul sorcerer also learn it if I was, yeah, you know, so inclined. Yeah. Um, so she can give you the spell, but even after, if the um, Tatsalworm lives, you can still convince her to go to the village. Like, if you've managed to sneak, maybe sneak by the Tatsalworm and get the flowers without fighting it and stuff. So will she not, will she not leave? She won't help, she won't leave unless you can convince her that the Tatsalworm is such a danger to the village, she needs to be there to protect her. Right, okay. Because she's not like an insidious character. She does want to help the village, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. She just doesn't want to go down there anymore. She's got no more um, affection for our um, Lorena, unfortunately. Yeah. So if you can convince her to go down, uh, Lorena will give you a cloak of invisibility. It even says there is a little sidebar here where it's like, note on the cloak of invisibility. Um, it's been included in this adventure since it matches the folklore that inspired it. You know, Hobbit and whatnot. Yeah. Um, he says, however, the DM should know that a cloak of invisibility is a legendary item, <laughs> which may have a detrimental effect on the balance of the party. Yeah. Um, this can easily be substituted for a cloak of kind or for the cloak, uh, if desired for the cloak of invisibility. So there's that. But I think, actually, the better option is if you go down, you haven't managed to convince her to come back, but you do tell him that you've killed the Tatsal Worm anyway, so sort of the danger's gone. Mm. He will give you... A belt of frost giant strength. Mate. Now that is a good item. And I was quite surprised. I was like, for a little side quest, these are some some dank rewards. Yeah. <laughs> they are nice. Um, and what's hilarious is they're both just in his house. So if you've got a rogue in the party, you can just steal them both. Oh. You can just, just get them without doing the adventure, if you wish. That would be you. <laughs> but what, yeah. But what I love about this adventure is the fact that halfway through... Like, you get subverted because you get there and she's like, oh, actually what he's told you, it's a load of old bullshit. That's not what happened. Also, do you want to drop that quest and do my quest instead? <laughs> and then... <laughs> Which I love. And I know part, like I know our players would instantly be like, how can I get both quest rewards? How can I do How that? can I kill the Tatsal Worm and bring her back? Or maybe I could kidnap her. Like and there's you can do both. You could kill the tatsal worm and then lie to her and say it's still alive, and then go down to the village and you could get both rewards. Mm-hmm. Um, it's alternatively you can just do a really high like persuasion check to get to come down. But I would make the players they'd have to say something very uh, compelling for that to happen. Yeah. So, but in a way, you could almost get all three items: the spell and the two item the magic items, if you if you wish. But I lo- I just like how I think almost accidentally it starts off very insidious and then you're very you're questioning everyone, you don't know what's going on, and then you get to the top of the cave and it turns out Lorino is just a, a useless old man at this point, um <laughs> whose wife has left him. <laughs> like there's nothing insidious about it at all. He's just had a bad run of luck. Uh and then you change quest halfway through. You still have to fight the bit. And I like the idea. It's like, oh, okay, I've changed quest now. I don't need to come across the Tatsu Worm. Of course you do. <laughs> of course you're going to fight the Tatsu Worm. <laughs> Which is actually quite dangerous. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's, it's, I mean, it's a pretty basic quest, but I do like how you can just drop it into an adventure. Like, if I'd known about this when we were doing our long travel sequence, oh, yeah. this is definitely something I would have I would have put in. Yeah, this is uh, a lot of fun. And there's still lots of opportunity to world build and whatnot, because it, it's just a village that's in the middle of an alpine pass. They don't go into too much detail about how it was there or its history or anything, just because they want you to be able to plonk it into any adventure. So you could, like, for instance, in my, a lot of our traveling time was me trying to set up things like the religion of this new area you're going into, the culture, etc. I could have done all that in this village whilst also providing you, you know, this fun quest. I mean, I wouldn't have been giving you a uh, belt of frost giant strength. Uh, <laughs> certainly not. Well, we were lower level <laughs> nor, as well. So. Nor a cloak of invisibility. Uh, I mean, I would have given you that spell because it's not really dangerous, to be honest. <laughs> uh, uh, it's just weird, isn't it? Like, that's so underpowered. Yeah, it's... I mean... I feel like we feel that way about a lot of spells, though. Yeah, but I just... like I'm comparing it to, say, like... So, for instance, it's 8d8 radiant damage, right? Mm-hmm. In a 10-foot radius around you that can hit friendlies. Or you could cast a 5th level of Spiritual Guardians, do 48 damage, and you've only got to keep it up for two rounds, and you've matched, matched the damage, you can't hit friendlies, and it's a wider area. Like and it goes on forever, basically, or for a minute, you know. So for the whole fight, yeah. Like, wh- why would I just not not cast that? It seems seems strange. Is it concentration? Fit, it, uh, well, spiritual gardens is, but this is this is just one and done. Mm. It's just like a a bosh damage and it's over. Yeah. So, um, I mean, and if I was a paladin, I would not be spending my fifth level spell slot on that. No, definitely. <laughs> not. I don't. I don't, I don't get fifth level spell slots till seventeenth level. Um, oh Christ! Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> They would not be going on that, uh, but other than that, I think it's pretty cool. I like I like the um, each character in the village has their own like personality. I love the little quests you do in each household. Yeah, that might be my favourite part, which is just hilarious. Like one's a a dispute about um, sort of who gets sort of proportions of the house when the the owner dies. Oh like, wow! The parent, they're like my inheritance is smaller than theirs. What the hell? Because like they each get their own room in the house, but but with like an intelligence check, you can determine by how much each room is like smaller or larger than the other, mm. and then you can suggest moving one of the walls to even everything up, and then everyone's happy, you know, happy families at that point. Aww. So you do these little conflict resolutions. See, what I really like about both of these adventures is that they offer optional things to pop into your game, even if you're not running the adventure as is. Like you could take all of those fun family quirms and and mini encounters and pop them into literally any game and and it would still make sense and it would still be a lot of fun yeah i mean i like as well that there's no happy ending as such where um the the big couple they don't get back together even if she goes back to the village she's like i ain't getting married again (laughs) so she's like i still want that divorce papers to come through like, so come it's on, like, mate. And, it, and I love that it's not even a big drama about it. She's just like, I just don't fancy being married anymore. She's, I want me magic. Yeah, she she don't like him. She's she's fallen out of love. It happens, you know. Happens to the best of us. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there is a bit of law. So she's like, she's like the daughter of like a king or something. Mm. And he had this like ice little palace. So that's why it's here. She didn't make it. So that's kind of justified. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, you can manipulate the law to your own desire like i would if it was in my campaign i would have made it like a giant probably a frost giant etc because it would have tied in better and whatnot but yeah no it's a fun little adventure and definitely something that you can just put in it literally took me like 20 minutes to read it all and understand it it was no big deal Mm. and then frees you up to to plan other big things and whatnot while still keeping everything sort of coherent and an acceptable level of quality as to where the session isn't just throw away random encounters and whatnot. Yeah. And I think that's the the benefit of this book is so that you can have those really easy to prep pop in encounters, those fun sessions whilst freeing up your time to not have to worry about how much you're prepping and give you that time to work on things in the future. And that's the benefit that comes with a book like this. Yeah, for sure. And I would also say like what we were saying earlier about ensuring that there's a bit of memorabilia or whatnot from this adventure or any side adventure you do that you can carry forward. Obviously, you, every time you cast that spell, you'll be thinking about this adventure and, and where you got it and whatnot. That's very unique. 
And visually, it's tied directly to the flower you got, so that's like a real nice through line yeah. of consistency. But also, if you get the belt, the belt or the cloak, I would love the idea that so maybe you get the cloak and visibility, uh, and no one can see it because it's always like invisible, right? <laughs> but um, it's like really, if you could see it with like true sight, however, it's like really tattered and burned or whatever. And maybe he says like, yeah. you know, I, I got I burned it once when I was adventuring for a volcano or something, right? Yeah. So you rem- remember one of Lorino's stories, or of the the I used um, it to hide from a red dragon, and I got singed yeah. by his fire. Or I like the idea that the belt of um, uh, like frost giant strength. Obviously, like magic items are supposed to resize to the person who's wearing them. Yeah. But I love the idea that like um, it's always slightly too tight around your waist. Uh, yeah. Or, or <laughs> alternatively, the opposite. Like so, Lorino has never taken it off. He doesn't take the belt off because even though he doesn't adventure anymore, it's like his own protection. Right. He's really strong. Yeah. I, I, I would describe him from the moment you meet him as being absolutely ripped for an old man. Yes. But I also like the idea that he's really let himself go and he's fat and he's actually even though it's magical, he's stretched the belt. Oh no. So now, so now it's all like it's still just a little bit loose. It doesn't actually keep up your trousers very well. <laughs> but, it, but it still so gives you, you the properties of being really, really it strong. It still gives you the properties but you can hear it clanking around and whatnot when you move. That's quite fun. You know, I like as well. Just something to remind you of him. Um, Maybe with the spell if you know with it being a little bit like luster you can just you can link it into something in the future like maybe that spell has a type of effect that that someone down the line you can build a quest needs a spell that does that thing so you can then teach someone that spell to give it that a purpose if they're not if the players aren't using it in combat and mm-hmm. things that could be nice and then they can yeah, they can sure. recount the story of how they got it yeah and especially because it's for like divine users right um i like the idea that maybe when you're casting that spell, it comes directly from the mountain, from those flowers, mm. and from her. Mm. It's like a connection to her. Maybe you hear her singing or something whenever you cast it. That's nice. Um, it like channels directly to her sort of icy abode. Mm. So yeah, yeah, I really like that. Well, look, this uh, this book has uh, seven of these fun little adventures that you can pop into your games or link together to be uh, a fun overall quest. Uh, they include, obviously, the two we've gone over today, the Gingerbread House and the Insidious Alpine Pass. There's um, a couple of fun titles here. The the Old Evil Strip, uh, Stris, The Doom That Came, uh, The New Argonauts, which you might be able to guess what that one's about, and Into the Hall of the Mountain King too, which... Uh, I am really keen to read um, that. If that's based on what I think it's based on, I'm really, really into that. So there's there's so many of these things in here. Plus, obviously, the two appendixes, which come with spells, magic items, monsters, and NPCs. Uh, and we, very kindly, have been given two copies, two digital copies to give away. So if you go over to our Twitter uh, right now, if you're... Uh, listening to this on the Thursday that it came out, there will be a tweet pinned to our profile. All you've got to do is give us a follow, give it a like, give it a retweet, and next Thursday we will announce two winners of the digital copies. And the day we announce that will actually be the day that this book goes up for sale on the DMs Guild. So if you're not a winner, you'll be able to pick up a copy yourself that day too. There you go. There you go. Um, I... I We've only got the sample right here. We're waiting for the full copy to come through to read the rest, and I'm I'm really excited to to flick through it. There's going to be a lot of fun stuff in there, I think, based off these two adventures. No, I think so. It's pretty. Um, yeah, I just like stuff like this because I'm probably never going to run an actual written adventure just because it's not my my style. Not your thing, but, is it? Uh, but I like stuff like this that can supplement um, my style. You know what I mean? And uh, and put things in there that gel with my campaign but are just malleable enough that can be used in sort of many different contexts Mm. Uh, and so yeah I would um, I like yeah I like how I can just sort of ensconce these adventures into an area of my world or a, a certain theme I'm trying to bolster by using these right and it doesn't feel out of place and it's not just not a lot, of, a lot of work for me to do like i like i find a lot of dm's guild homebrew stuff or whatever that's really cool but i just feel like it's going to be a lot of work yeah. to put it in my game yeah when i'm like well if i'm going to do this much work why don't i just make it myself <laughs> uh so i've never like, this is never not... thought that i've never once gone oh, i might as well just do it myself <laughs> <laughs> I usually look at someone else's work and go, this is quite good. I'm going to take what they've done and add on to it. 
Yeah, uh, there you go. I like it. So. Well, that's really cool. Well, look, keep an eye out on the Twitter. Um, go and enter in the competition. Hopefully, you will have a copy of this book uh, in your uh, virtual hands soon enough. And uh, next week, Joe, we will get back on to talking about some uh, listener topics. We've had quite a few come in, so I'm excited to get into those too. Uh, if you would love to get in touch, talk to us about this uh, this product this this book or about any topics that you want to hear us cover you can on twitter we are at we speak common our emails we speak common at hotmail.com and of course we are on we speak common.com as well and if you see us on reddit it's probably me so drop me a message we'll have a chat there you go cool well um joe we have an uh just under an hour before we go and uh kill the xanatha so why don't you why don't you go and get ready for that get yourself mentally prepared I've always been ready, mate. I've been ready from day one. <laughs> Born ready. I'm looking forward to it. All right, mate. Speak to you soon. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening today. If you like the podcast, do us a favor. Leave us a like or review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at WeSpeakCommon or through the email WeSpeakCommon at Hotmail.com. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license CC by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Free Music Archive.